for freedom every day. They're learning at a young age. They're being taught the socialists control the ones that are blaming Republicans for being Nazis, for being fascists, the ones that are promoting some type of cancel culture, the ones that are promoting some type of agenda of uh, shadow banning. Realize at a young age that, hey, sure, you can have your freedom of speech, but we can block your funding. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into the program. It is another wonderful weekend of the Voice Reasons Weekend Edition, broadcasting out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, at the Hoosier Media Network Studios. What's up? Great to have you along for the ride. Did you see this? This is not a way to start off the weekend. This is not a way to kick off another weekend. Bob Barker, former host of The Price is Right, has officially passed away at 99 years old. How sad, man. That's terrible. One of the legends, one of the icons that we saw on radio and TV for years upon years, decades upon decades. What a wonderful individual. I know Drew Carey's hosting that show now. At least he was. Chad, he's still doing that, right? I think so. I think he's still hosting that show. Uh, but I Bob believe Barker, that he is. Yeah, I think so. I think he's still there. And he lost a lot of weight. He looks really good doing his thing. But, man, I mean, you can't beat the classic of Bob Barker. As they had a lot of fun. I We have uh, at our home, we have the Pluto TV where you can watch some channels where they have like constant 24-hour programming of the same show over and over and over. And I have to say, some of the best episodes of The Price is Right was watching the old school like 70s and 80s episodes where Bob Barker, man, he was wearing like those like blow-up pants from like the legs down and they had like the shag carpet in the studio and everybody looked ridiculous. Oh yeah, those were the best episodes. And man, he had a mouth on him. He did not treat people nicely back in the day. And it was hilarious to watch. So God bless you, Bob Barker. Uh, prayers to all the family. Thoughts and prayers to everybody that's involved with the family for Bob Barker passing away at 99 years old. And, man, what a, a career and a history and a lineage that he left behind. Pretty sad. I got to admit, though, as much as I enjoyed watching The Price is Right, the best iconic moment that I ever remember of Bob Barker, and so many others remember it as well, is, of course, when he played as the guest appearance in Happy Gilmore. I mean, let's be honest, right? The price is wrong. I'm not going to say it. Welcome into it. It's great to have you. We've got a lot to get to. You, at the bottom of this hour, we have U.S. Senator Roger Marshall. He is the great senator from the state of Kansas, my home senator. He's a wonderful individual, great friend, and we'll have him on the show to talk about the return to Washington, D.C. in a couple of weeks. Also, he is ending and wrapping up his week that he's been doing as a nationwide push for fentanyl awareness. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about budgets. We'll talk about the farm bill a little bit as well and what the latest is with trying to, I don't know, get Congress to do their jobs. So we'll do that here in just a bit as we look at our weekend review with our latest in What's Trending. What's Trending Today. I realize that there's way too much that happened this week, and we just need to, like, we need to simmer down for a minute. We just need to decompress after everything that happened. Obviously, there was the debate that we'll get to in just a little bit. We have Donald Trump's uh, uh, interview with Tucker Carlson on the Tweety, also now known as X, which looking at the latest numbers as of right now, as I look at it, almost 260 million views, 259.8 million views on that interview on the Tweety alone. Yeah, that's pretty wild. The promo, the one-minute teaser promo that he made, Promoting the event had 17 and a half million views on it as well. So you can see how popular or unpopular Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson may be on these alternative media outlets. So uh, we have that to get to. We have Donald Trump as well turning himself in in the state of Georgia. And I want to start there for a moment because I have to tell you again, and he showed this during the 2016 election. He's proven it to us time and time again as president. 
He's proven it to us time and time again after his presidency on the campaign trail. Donald Trump is the, whether you like the guy, dislike the guy, want him to be president again, don't want him to be president again, you have to acknowledge and admit that Donald Trump is the number one best marketing genius there is out there. He is the best PR guy there is possibly out there. This mugshot that he posted after the surrendering the $200,000 bail that he made to leave the Georgia prison after walking in, walking out, doing his thing. The mugshot that was released, I have to admit, I didn't even see the mugshot first off. I saw the memes that were already popping up minutes after it was posted online, the <laughs> the good and the bad ones that people had made with his picture on it. And I have to admit, I thought it was a joke. I did not think it was the right one. I thought it was a spoof picture until I saw the actual legitimate one and people posting it all over, especially Democrats. are like, oh, look at that. They finally got him, and he's not very happy about it. But right away, out of the gate, Republicans making moves about it, showing how angry he is, how much he's going to turn the country around, how he's trying to heckle the other side of the aisle, and how regretful that Democrats and the mainstream media were to try and post this picture of his mugshot that was spread all around the country and all around the world, really, essentially. He already has campaign swag. That is out, making money and profiting off said mugshot, which, again, you want to talk about marketing genius, a guy that's potentially allegedly in trouble from the other side, doing the Department of Justice militarization, going after an ex-president because we don't want him to be back in office. Uh, he's, He's using it for his own personal benefit. He's using his own picture to make money to run on the campaign to pay for his legal fees and to be able to run for president of the United States. Talk about a marketing genius. Not to mention, he just don't care. And he's going after every one of these Democrats by showing this picture of the media now livid of the fact that he's actually profiting off of this in some way, shape, or form. And in the genius of the marketing PR stunt that Donald Trump has, he has dominated the airwaves all week long again with liberal media, conservative media, podcasters, news articles, everybody focusing on what Donald Trump's doing, which, as he said, as he did his protest away from the Fox News debate that happened earlier in the week, he did it. He did it. I have not seen what the ratings look like for Fox News and for that debate yet. They probably don't want to release them because it would look minuscule compared to what they saw on the Tweety with Tucker Carlson. So we had Donald Trump leading up to it. We had the massive hit on the Twitter with the interview. Then we had the arrest in Georgia. We had the capitalization of it profit-wise with the selling of the swag with the pictures on the T-shirts and the coffee mugs and everything else. Donald Trump, the marketing genius, again, dominated every media outlet for an entire week without spending a dime in campaign ads. Now, regardless of what you think, again, of Donald Trump, you have to admit that this guy knows how to generate conversation, which leads to a very divisive conversation of either you love Donald Trump or you hate Donald Trump, but you got to admit that it actually works. Now, that being said, I have to admit, and this may feel very unpopular for some, but that's okay. The interview that he did with Tucker Carlson, because I did, I watched both. I watched the debate live, and then I turned around and watched the interview with Tucker Carlson that night afterwards. And while I was coming down off the high of the madness, shenanigans, malarkey, the fun back and forth, the poking of the bears that we saw with some of the candidates during the debate, which I thought was hilarious, and we will do a bit of a deep dive in that later on. I have to admit, I came off of that expecting to hear some feistiness from Donald Trump. Hearing one of his rally speeches, 
hearing him go after candidates, hearing him go after Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, which he did a little bit. In fact, there was probably one of the greatest signs of the entire night when Donald Trump went after Kamala Harris. She speaks in uh, in rhyme. In, uh, it's weird. It's weird. But she has bad moments. And in rhyme? What do you- well, the way she talks, the bus will go here and then the bus will go there because that's what buses do. And it's weird. <laughs> the whole thing is weird. This is not a president of the United States future. Come on, man. That's probably the greatest, the greatest line that I've heard the entire week. That was the winner of the day right there. So well done, Donald Trump, on that one. Outside of that, I have to admit, Donald Trump, in my opinion, and this may be an unpopular opinion, but Joe Biden, or, uh, Donald Trump missed an opportunity with this interview. He missed an opportunity. He missed the boat. Swing and a miss, baby. I mean, it was decent. It was okay. It was Donald Trump, but it was Donald Trump reserved. It was the new face of Donald Trump. It was the let's play nice Donald Trump. And we're not used to that. In the 45-minute interview that he did, about 20 minutes of it was talking about the Panama Canal, which I get the point that he was trying to make, but it kind of went on a little bit and talking about all the people that died and the mosquitoes and having to build it under a net and, you know, how important this was for the Panama Canal and then selling it for a dollar under Jimmy Carter. Like, I get it, but kind of a weird story. He didn't talk about the campaign a whole lot. He talked a little bit about the fraudulent votes in 2020, a little bit. He went after Mike Pence a little bit. And then at the very end, we were like, hey, what's your platform? What are you going to do when you get back into office? And again, he's like, I'm going to build the wall and, and stop the flow of migrants coming in from the southern border because of what China's doing and the control that China has in our part of the hemisphere and with the Panama Canal. And then that was about it. That was the only thing that we heard about the platform. What really bothered me, though, was, again, we had a missed opportunity with how, at least in my opinion, being in media understanding interviews and how, as a host, how you're supposed to interview people, how you can interview people, and how, at least as an interviewee that I am myself, watching Tucker Carlson try to set the stage, try to throw a softball to Donald Trump on a certain issue to really set the tone and have him drive home a point that I think Donald Trump completely and obliviously missed. At the very beginning, which was an odd thing to talk about already at the beginning anyways, Tucker Carlson brought up the concept of Jeffrey Epstein. And do you think that he was killed or do you think that he committed suicide? And Donald Trump really kind of sidestepped the issue and talked about how he thought that Epstein had actually committed suicide. Do you think it's possible that Epstein was killed? Oh, sure. It's possible. I I mean, I don't really believe. I think he probably uh, committed suicide. He had a life with, you know, beautiful homes and beautiful everything, and he, uh, all of a sudden, he's incarcerated and not doing very well. I would say that he did, but there are those people, there are many people, I think you're one of them, right? But a lot of people think that he uh, he was killed. He knew a lot on a lot of people. He was killed. He was killed, yeah. I, I mean, kind of a weird response. I think he committed suicide, but there's a lot of people. I think you even include. That was the Donald Trump that was playing nice. Now, what he was trying to get at, what Tucker Carlson was trying to get at, and he said it later on in the program, was that, hey, uh, the escalations on the attacks of Donald Trump, starting with the Russian collusion, he's a conspirator, he's working with the Russians, he's working with so on and so forth to try and steal the election. He stole the election because the election was rigged, and therefore Donald Trump stole it, (laughs) which is really hilarious, because then later on we're not allowed to apparently question elections after he loses, so how dare you even question the fact and think that it was stolen from him? You can't do that, but when he wins, oh my gosh, he stole the election because he rigged it with Russia. Well, we started from there, 
to going into two impeachments that were ill-justified because finding out that the whole rigged election Russian collusion was a complete hoax, and we knew that with a fact, 100% guarantee we know that it was completely fabricated with the Durham report and with the Clinton campaign. That led to two impeachments. That led to massive threats, personal threats, family threats, White House threats for years while he was in office. To now a militarized Department of Justice going after Donald Trump. Again, whether you like him or dislike him, want him to be president or not, we have to recognize the legitimacy or the lack of legitimacy that's in this case and the militarization of the DOJ trying to go after a political opponent to make sure he can never be in there again. And the point that Tucker Carlson had tried to make was, hey, if they've gotten to this level, at what point will they try to come after you and kill you like they had tried to do with Jeffrey Epstein? And again, he misses the opportunity. And although, although, while I think he missed the boat there on trying to really create some energy from the right by showing that he could be in threat, but yet he doesn't, it doesn't bother him and that he's still on the campaign trail and how important this is and how he needs to save the country and how awesome this all is and how much support he has. He does it in a little bit different fashion. And while he may have missed the boat and completely swinging a miss on the softball that Tucker Carlson had tossed to him, he did it in a very interesting way. And I know we got to take a break in a second here. So when we come back, we'll play the, uh, the audio from that. But your thoughts on how Donald Trump actually performed in this interview, he promoted it saying that sparks will fly. And outside of a couple little jabs, he did it some people. Was this the new and improved Donald Trump? Was this the scared and reserved Donald Trump? And what does that mean for him moving forward on the campaign trail? Lots more coming up on The Voice Reason. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into it. 24 minutes past the hour. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting. However you watch or check us out, we always love you to death and appreciate you very much. So I know that's a bit of an unpopular position. I have not heard a single other person say that ah, I was a little disappointed in Donald Trump's response and uh, how he did his interview, how he handled that situation. And that's okay. That's all right. I was expecting more, and he did his job. He distracted a lot of people that I know, and the polls, the unofficial polls that I held on my social media, which, by the way, you can find me at Hoosier Reason, H-O-O-S-E-R Reason, on all of the social media sites, really all of them you can think of, on, yes, on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, the Tweety, or X, uh, the, the Getter, and Our Freedom Book, and Truth Social, and <laughs> YouTube, and Twitch.tv, and Rumble. Yeah, all those, all at Hoosier Reason. You can find the same handle, and, of course, the website at HoosierReason.com. The unofficial poll that we held throughout the week, a lot of people said that they didn't watch the debate, that they stuck with Donald Trump. And look, this is not an attack. This is not a lack of endorsement. This is not an endorsement. This is pure speculation of the state of the Republican Party right now on where Donald Trump's at in his mindset. And he played nice in that interview. And maybe that's what he needed to do. Maybe that's what he had to do to try to win over some that are uh, worried about him being the Donald Trump Tweety kind of guy, I'm just going to go after everybody and I'm just going to be vicious. He was very calm. He was very collect. He was very steady. He was very consistent in that entire interview. He took a couple of jabs at Joe Biden, took a couple of jabs at Kamala Harris, took a couple of jabs at Asa Hutchinson, 
Outside of that, though, he spent a half the time talking about the Panama Canal, which was kind of strange, and then talked about China, talked about the voter issue with Mike Pence, and then talked about his platform shutting the border, and boom, it was done. And he missed the opportunity, in my opinion, he missed the opportunity of when he asked, uh, when Tucker asked, hey, was Jeffrey Epstein killed? And does that lead to a potential violence from the left of physically harming somebody to try to silence that political opposition like they did with Jeffrey? And would they do that to you at some point? But they're counterproductive. So if you chart it out, it's an escalation is what I'm saying. So what's next after, you know, try to put you in prison for the rest of your life. That's not working. So, like, don't they have to kill you now? I I think the people of our country uh, don't get enough credit for how smart they are. And I'm not sure I would have said this 10 years ago, but they get it. You know, they really get it. When somebody gets indicted, your poll numbers go down. When somebody gets indicted, you announce, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'll be leaving to spend time with my family and to fight for the rest of my life on this stuff. But you're out of politics. I got indicted four times. All trivia, nonsense, bullshit. It's horrible when you look and, and you look at what they're doing. Now, I guess that was a good response. I would have gone a different direction in his situation, the way he is, which I'm not him, which is why he's probably way smarter and has a lot more money than me. And he, he's been president and I have not been president. So maybe he planned that out a lot better than what I would have with that opportunity. It would have gone. Yeah. You know what? There's a violent left that is causing some extreme danger in this nation. And he could have gone down the road of partisanship. He could have gone down the road of segregation. He could have gone down the road of separation and the identity politics and the internal war and trying to turn everybody against each other. He could have done that. Instead, he probably did one of the most uniting statements that we've heard him say, which was the people are smarter than what we give them credit for. They're way smarter than what we ever thought because they see what's going on. And as I continue to go through these indictments, then my poll numbers continue to rise and continue to get better. Now, that's among Republican voters, not necessarily anybody else, which is a cause for concern if we go into a general election of 2024. But he's right under Republican votership. He still has great support. In fact, according to Politico.com, 45 uh, 45% of Republicans say they do not want a trial before the general election because they think it's politicized. They also say 64% of Republicans do not see him guilty at all in any way, shape, or form. He still has a massive dominance in the Republican Party. Outside of the Republican Party is a different story. And is that who he's trying to reach while trying to play nice and be calm and collect during an interview with Tucker Carlson? Very interesting strategy. Lots more coming up on the show. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Reason meets radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is the Voice of Reasons Weekend Edition here, all across the nation, from coast to coast here at the Hoosier Media Network. It's always wonderful to have you with us. We'll get back to the Donald Trump thing. I know it's an unpopular stance to take. Again, this is not like deterring support from him in any way, shape, or form. This is just pure speculation of whether Donald Trump actually did the intent and purpose. And maybe it was. Maybe it was just the fun fireside chat with Donald Trump. Maybe it wasn't supposed to be the hard line, I'm angry and we're going to fix this stuff. Maybe it wasn't supposed to be that. Maybe it was just supposed to be fireside chat with Tucker and Donald. 
And if that's the case, then he did a very good job. And obviously with 260, 200 and whatever some odd million views that he had on the video, he obviously got some attention. He got a lot of impressions, and that's the entire point and purpose. Next hour, we will be breaking down, by the way, the uh, debate and do a deep dive into one of the candidates that I feel won. The polls from Drudge Report showed that he won as well. And yet, who is this guy with some speculation and rumors floating around on Vivek Ramaswamy? So we'll have some fun talking about that in hour number two as well. But I want to shift gears a little bit because we are about ready to return back to Congress in just a couple of weeks. With Congress returning back to D.C., getting ready for the federal uh, fall session, which means what? The two biggest items that are on the docket to be discussed includes the federal budget and the Farm Bill of 2023 or 2024, I guess, for the fall, sesta, uh, fall session. And are we going to be prepared for those? Probably not. At the same time, there is a big awareness week right now trying to bring awareness to fentanyl and that ongoing battle with fentanyl. As earlier this week, we sat down with U.S. Senator Roger Marshall from right here in the great state of Kansas, my home state, as he brought that awareness across the nation, trying to bring that awareness to what the heck fentanyl is doing to our communities. And this is what he had to say right here on The Voice of Reason. Senator, how are you, my friend? <laughs> Andy, good morning. Shenanigans. That was a word my dad used. For my brother and me, we knew that we were we weren't quite ready. He wasn't at his limit yet, but he was getting close. <laughs> to he used that word. <laughs> well, I tell you, I think we've reached our limit with some of the stuff going on in yes, Washington sir. for sure. They've hit that uh, stuff. Before we get into that, though, I know we have a, a big slate uh, on the docket for the fall session. But let's talk about actually what you've been working on this week. This week, you've uh, made a big announcement with uh, our awareness for the ongoing battle against fentanyl, which has been getting worse. We continue to see migrants coming in from the southern border. We see the fentanyl pouring in across the nation. And you've been trying to work on a major awareness campaign throughout this last week. That, that's right, Andy. And with all our kids going back to school, we thought it'd be great to spend this week educating Kansans and, and Americans that one pill can kill. Yeah. One pill Lace with fentanyl can kill. What we're seeing is our young adults ordering Xanax or Adderall or Percocet online. Maybe it's even marijuana. We're now seeing marijuana laced with fentanyl. And even just that small lacing of a pill can kill. Uh, so we want to make sure that every parent, every teacher, every coach, uh, law enforcement is joining us in these efforts, just educating folks that the, this drug does not care who you are, what your last name is, how much money your parents make. Uh, if, if you order this and you take it, you can order it online. It's easier to get a fentanyl tablet than it is a piece of pizza. Yeah. You can have it delivered to your home. And by the way, the cartel is alive and well across the state of Kansas, poisoning our kids. These are accidental deaths. These are not overdoses. One pill can kill. It is very concerning. Are we seeing and are we seeing the situation get any better right now? Obviously, we've seen some big operations, some major amounts of pills being taken off the streets, which is good. But is it really helping? And are we limiting the amount that's on the street, or is it continuously just pouring in more than ever before? Oh, Andy, we're still on the uptick. You know, you talk to law enforcement. You know, the firemen are making in the big cities are making three or four runs every day and giving Narcan. So we're giving Narcan 10, 15, 20 times a day. Without that, we'd have that many more young adults dying. We've been, the United States has lost more adults over the past year to fentanyl poisoning than the entire Vietnam War. This, I, I'm afraid we're just seeing the beginning of it. If we don't get control of our border, this problem is not going away. All we're doing is sticking our finger in the holes in the diamond. Yeah. Well, Senator, I mean, didn't we already handle the border, uh, according to Joe Biden's administration, that uh, we no longer well, see any illegal immigrants coming over? 
<laughs> yeah, Andy. Well, this is why this is the number. This is even more important to people in inflation. We're numb to inflation, but Americans are sick and tired of being sick and tired about the, our open border and that, that, that their families are no longer safe. And like I said, the cartel is now firmly established across the state of Kansas, and now it's leading to human trafficking and sex trafficking along with this. The, the cartel is making $300 billion a year. They would be the number 15 company on the Fortune 500, bigger than Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah, how scary. I know with your uh, Fentanyl Awareness Week that we've had throughout this week, you've also uh, been pushing the Cooper Davis Act as that's been moving through the Senate right now. But talk about what that bill is. Yeah, well, Cooper Davis was a wonderful young man, junior in high school, uh, a, a good student, adventuresome. Everybody loved him. He was a leader uh, and did not have any type of a substance abuse problem. But he and his friends ordered two Percocet tablets on Snapchat. Cooper took one half of the tablet and died. So we named this legislation in honor of him. And what it does is force social media companies like Snapchat, Facebook, Google, whoever it is, if they see this trafficking going online, this drug trafficking going online, to reach out. To, to authorities. Very, very simple. They know it. They can tell when this is going on, and I need them to cooperate with police and shut down the social media and drugs online. Yeah, what a scary thought. It is an ongoing battle, and I'm glad that you're bringing awareness to it. It's U.S. Senator Roger Marshall from the great state of Kansas. Let's shift gears a little bit in this talk about the return to Washington, D.C. after Labor Day as we go into the fall session. Obviously, there's two major issues that are on the table right away when you get back, which is the federal budget that ends in the end of September and our farm bill that ends in the end of September as well. Neither one of those, from what it sounds like, are going to be done on time, are they? No, Andy, I, I don't expect them to be done on time. Uh, I, I don't care. Let's talk about the, the spending, first of all. Our national debt is the number one long-term problem this nation faces. $33 billion are growing daily. We're going to spend $700 billion on interest this year. You know, this rising interest rate, thanks to inflation, thanks to Joe Biden, has so many ramifications, including the amount of interest that the federal government is, is spending. Uh Anyone that's ran a business that takes care of a family budget knows if you're paying the bank too much money or if you've maxed out your credit cards like Joe Biden has, that you will never uh, you know, be able to see the, the north side of making any money if you're being functional. So if you, whether you think that uh, school is the most important issue that the federal government does or state government or the military or roads and bridges, if you're paying $700 billion a year in interest, there just isn't much money left. Um, so we are, at, at, you know, once again, at an impasse on how much money we're going to spend. I'm going to do everything I can to slow down the federal spend. It is concerning. When we passed the uh, the debt ceiling bill back in June, we ended up raising our spending by another $4 trillion over the next two years, near $2 trillion a year that yeah. we could see a potential increase. I mean, Senator, that's the level, just the one-year increase is at the level when we spent the massive COVID-19 stimulus package a couple years ago that uh, Joe Biden said, oh, look at that, the deficit went down because we didn't spend that again. That's going to be our new our new norm of a spending level? That's insane. Yeah, it's, it's impossible to finance. There's just not enough money to squeeze out of Americans to raise that money without borrowing from our grandchildren. And look, Republicans need to look at the mirror as well. I've seen the spending on our military go from 600 to 700 to 800 to 900 billion dollars a year. On top of that, we spent 113 billion dollars to Ukraine already. Now the president wants another 24 billion dollars, and he won't give us 
$20 billion to secure our own border. I think we just have our priorities backwards. Yeah, we have our priorities backwards. So last couple of minutes here, and I know you have to run, Senator, so I always appreciate your time. But let's talk about the Farm Bill for a minute as well. I know you're heavily involved uh, with the agricultural side of it. Farm Bill coming up for this year is ending again. How does that conversation look like, and when do you think we could see a final bill on that one? Right. We'll have to do some type of an extension. There's no way we can get all of our appropriations done or the Farm Bill done by September 30th. We'll have to pass some type of continuing resolution to extend it until Christmas time. I'm not buying a, a, a ticket to come home, but I have a feeling we'll be up there until the last hour as well. But I just want to remind your listeners, the Farm Bill does so much more than just help agriculture. Only 5% of the Farm Bill goes to farmers. This stumbling box is the food program. We had budgeted $70 billion a year for the food programs five years ago. You know, we do a Farm Bill every five years. We're spending $140 billion a year. Once again, Joe Biden inflation uh, is impacting a farm bill. Uh, usually 80% of a farm bill is spent on food programs. This time it's going to be 90%. So typically we spend other monies on things like building hospitals. I was at a college, Southwestern College in Winfield, two days ago, and they built a dorm with borrowed monies from that, uh, funding it as well, high-speed Internet, uh, so many things, hospitals across the state as well. So right now, that food program is eating up everything. And by the way, one of the reasons we're spending so much money on food programs is we have 7 million healthy American men between the ages of 25 and 45 that are not working. And somehow, some way, they're getting free health care along with free food and their rent paid and the utilities paid. That's absolute insanity. I know that you and I have talked about this before, and I know it's kind of a pipe dream, but is there any opportunity for us to begin the conversation of splitting those two things apart and having SNAP program be a separate bill, farm bill that actually is supposed to go towards the agricultural community and actual farmers, which is what the intent is, to actually be the farm bill and split those two things apart? You know, that's interesting. Uh, Certainly, I went to Washington six years ago thinking we could do that and just got nowhere with it. And now, for the first time ever, I've heard a few members of the Ag Committee say, uh, of the Ag Community say, maybe we should do that with, with the food programs costing so much. But it would be very hard to get 60 votes in the Senate if you split that farm bill up. That yeah. there are so many um, communities, states that are more dependent on the food programs than they are the Ag programs. So I, I don't see any way of that happening in this farm bill. It's unfortunate, but at least maybe some people are starting to have that conversation, which is good news. It's U.S. Senator Roger Marshall from the great state of Kansas. Senator, I know you're heading back up there soon. Keep up the fight, my friend. We appreciate everything that you're doing. God bless you, and let's talk again here real soon. Yeah, thank you so much, Andy. We covered a lot of topics. I appreciate the time to talk about the pinwheel. Remember, everybody, one kill can kill. Thanks so much. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into it. It is The Voice of Reason, wrapping up hour number one. So I want to put things into perspective. Thanks again to U.S. Senator Roger Marshall coming on. He's a wonderful personal friend. I've known him for a long time when he was a congressman in the big first district, which for those people that live outside of Kansas, if you draw a line right down the middle of the state, the first district of the congressional seat is so rural in so many small towns that if you draw a line down the entire uh, center of the state. The first the one congressional district covers the entire western half of the state. 
And he uh, was our congressman for that district for a long time before jumping into that Senate race and dominating it out there. And he made a name for himself, calling out Dr. Anthony Fauci, who, remember, is science. He's not partnering with science. He's not supporting science. He's not aligning with science. He is science. And therefore, now science is officially retired, and we no longer have science in, in society. Yeah, that's how we're living today. We no longer have any science. Where'd science go? It disappeared with Dr. Anthony Fauci. Roger Marshall, a rock star out there, and we appreciate everything that he's doing. We will talk with him more. But uh, he mentioned the farm bill. And for those that don't know, the farm bill, Andy, I'm not a farmer. That doesn't matter and, and mean anything to me. Uh, au contraire. If you buy food, if you go to the grocery store at all, then the farm bill has a lot to do with you. In fact, if you want to know why food prices are going to continue to climb, which so far under the Biden administration, food prices have gone up near 30% already. Oh, yeah, over the past four years, three years. And it's going to go up even more. In fact, we're going to think that it could go up another 15% in the next year. Why? Because according to the New York Post, we're seeing a massive increase in food stamp SNAP program funding by up near a trillion dollars that could be rising inflation on food near 15% over the next year. Now, unfortunately, this falls under the category of the farm bill, as you just heard with the interview with Senator Roger Marshall. And this has been a pet peeve of mine for a very long time. And we've talked to numerous elected officials who are on the ag committees, both in the House and in the Senate, on why we have the SNAP program, a social program handing out free food to individuals of lower income or on disability or whatever. Is there a need for it? There's a conversation to be had there to some degree, primarily should be down to a statewide level. But let's just go along with this for a second, shall we? This is a program that we're spending massive amounts on. And we've broken down the budget before between mandatory spending, discretional spending, and mandatory spending is the SNAP program, Medicare and Medicaid, Social Security. It's all the social programs we're not allowed to touch. We're not allowed to slow the growth. We're not allowed to try and reform. We're not allowed to try to mainstream. We can't touch them at all. They grow by 3, 4, 5, 6, 7% every year. And if you even say, let's just grow it at 2% instead of 6%, Democrats lose their mind and say they're trying to kill the population by letting people die in the street without their social services. That's, uh, yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. That's what we have to go under. And that SNAP program falls under the category of the Farm Bill. And what used to be funding of near 80% of the Farm Bill with the SNAP program now is up to 90% of that Farm Bill. Now, this is a bill that was originally intended when we first started working on Farm Bills at the federal level to help farmers. And I know not everybody's a farmer and the farming population across the nation is going down. Why? Because it is an industry where everything is out of your control. Everything from the price of the seeds when you buy the seed to the price of the gas when you put the seed into the tractor in order to drive through the field to plant the seed into the field with the big tractor to the weather that could completely destroy your crop because of either extreme drought or extreme heat or extreme cold, or extreme rain flooding it, or hail that could damage it, everything. And then when you do finally get it to grow, and if the conditions are right, then you turn around and have to purchase the diesel and the gas to get the trucks to go out there, and the tractors to go out there, and the combines to go out there to harvest it, take it to the co-op, and then the co-op pays you based on the daily market price of that grain, which means you could make a lot of money or you could make nothing depending on the way the market is at that time with global trade on that commodity. Every single aspect of a farmer's livelihood is out of their control. 
And just thinking about it gives me massive anxiety because I can't imagine what they go through each and every time, which is thankfully not why I'm not a farmer because I could not handle that type of stress. But this program literally is supposed to help them with crop insurance in case they do have damaged crops. Or like we're seeing with extreme heat right now across the nation, killing off many crops, soybeans are the next ones. The winter wheat crop that was harvested that was terrible because of the drought across the nation, it's supposed to help them. And like usual, we turn it into another social program for individuals that aren't working to give them free stuff, while the ones that are working really harder than anybody else are not getting anything from this program because now the social program for the other people are getting getting anywhere between 90 to 95% of that bill. And if you don't pass it, then you hate poor people and you hate farmers. But we can't split them apart. And because of this dump in this money, we're going to see a 15% rise at the grocery store again on top of what we've already seen because of how much money they're sinking into this program. Lots more coming up. Stay here.